calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello and a very warm welcome to this episode of Take 15. I'm Lauren Foster, Content Director at CFA Institute, and joining me today to talk about unconscious bias in wealth management and how advisors can better serve their women clients is Adrian Penter. Now, Adrian is an estate planning attorney by training, mm -hmm. and she's now Executive Director of the Brown Brothers Harriman Center for Women and Wealth which is focused on supporting women as they create and manage wealth. And I'm delighted to have her here with me today on International Women's Day. <laughs> Thank so you welcome. for having me. Thank Thanks you. for being here. Now, your title is Executive Director, mm -hmm. but I think uh, it's fair to say that the center was really your brainchild. You were the driving force mm -hmm. behind its creation, and mm -hmm. it's been a very personal journey for you. Tell us about why you were so passionate about creating the Center for Women and Wealth. Mm -hmm. It's really um, two parts. One is personal and one's professional. Um, so I've been working with clients in one way or another for the last 15 years and um, see a lot of the time that women's voices are just missing from those conversations. And that creates not good results for families, right? And so we see bad things happen to families long term and we see estate plans and other types of plans, investing plans or whatever it may be that aren't sustainable, that aren't well produced for the next generation maybe when we don't have all of the stakeholders at the table. So that's certainly one part of it. The second part of it is personal. Um, my own dad died when I was in college and my mom became a young widow at the age of 52. And um, we went through some pretty significant probate litigation. So I know from personal experience when all of the decision makers aren't at the table, sometimes you don't have a perfect plan that, that leads to bad things happening. But really it was the aftermath, right, after, after he died. And he was sort of a... Um, he liked to invest, and he liked to invest in a lot of different things. And so he had a fairly complicated estate. And it took my mom um, probably the better part of 15 years, really, to um, sort it all out, to understand how to hire and then fire sometimes professional advisors um, and how to choose them and who she could work with and um, how to make decisions that she felt good about, that she was confident about, and that she could make independently. So, um, you know, this is really real-life, practical stuff about we need to have women at the table. We need to have them fully in invested and engaged in the conversations with us. And then we know as an industry that um, to the extent that they are not engaged with us, that they're likely to actually stop working with us as advisors after the, the patriarch or primary decision maker dies, if that's the case. So we know that women continue to control more wealth than ever in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I think the figure I saw most recently was 39% of investable assets mm -hmm. in the U.S., we also know that uh, women outlive men by 15 years, and they mm -hmm. make or contribute to about 90% of philanthropic decisions <clears throat> in the U.S., mm -hmm. but it seems there's also a big disconnect here. Uh, many report that they're not satisfied mm -hmm. with what the wealth management industry is actually offering them. Mm -hmm. So why is that the case, and what are the red flags that you mm -hmm. see? So um, the data is that 51% of high net worth women, and for this purpose, women with a million dollars or more of assets, feel as if they're not listened to or not understood by their advisor. 
Um, <clears throat> so that's a really big problem for us as an industry, right? We know that women control now a majority of personal wealth in the United States. And if we can't actually serve them well, we're, we're missing out on a significant opportunity. But it also means that more of them don't have advisors, um, which means that they're underinvested. <clears throat> Right, they hold more cash, they hold fewer equities, um, which which connects to a lot of more global systemic issues like the gender retirement gap, which is fed by lots of things. Um, so we know that we have to serve them better, right? So why do they feel underserved, right? So I think there's a couple couple issues. I think that the first is that women are a relatively new client demographic to our business, right? It's really only in the last 50 years where women have in mass become really significant financial decision makers and are sitting at the table and have their own wealth that they've created and are managing, right? So we're still sort of catching up with that. In a lot of ways, our model is outdated. The language we use to talk about investing, right, is gendered. It's male. It's a bull market, right? That's how we talk about that's how we talk about finance and investing. So there's sort of some level of, um, you know, gendered, um, you know, language built into what we already do, right, with clients. And then the other part of it is that we're not a diverse industry yet, right? We're all working really hard on hiring and promoting more women, more people of all diverse backgrounds, but we're not there yet. Like a lot of other industries. The industry is still 86% male. And um, that's, you know, that's really, that's part of what's holding us back in serving a more diverse client base. And it's not just women, it's all types of diversity. Um, and we know that our workforce needs to more closely mirror the people that we're serving. Um, in the absence of that, we need to think really intentionally about how we deliver client service and how we really create a culture and an environment of inclusion around the meeting table within the client relationship. Now, something we've talked about a lot uh, in the past is that there are many sort of stereotypes or misconceptions about women as clients mm -hmm. and as investors. Mm -hmm. um, and something I've heard many times over is that women are more risk averse than mm -hmm. men. So what are some of the stereotypes that you encounter a lot mm -hmm. and are they true or are they false? Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest one that we hear, because we, you know, I think everybody who sat on my side of the table has been to meetings where women are just not there, right? They're physically not there. It's the patriarch of the family in a traditional situation making decisions, or they are physically there, but they are silent, right? They're not actually participating fully in the meeting. And so I think that the assumptions that we draw from that is that, geez, women just aren't that interested in investing. Right? They're not that they're not that interested in making financial decisions. So I think that's a little bit of a misnomer, right? So number one, I think that we need to be structuring conversations around wealth to be truly holistic for both men and women. Um, but I think that beyond that, women are interested. It could be the way that we're structuring the meeting or creating an environment where maybe they don't feel fully included, right? I mean, we've all walked into client meetings where very well-intentioned, you know, I've said this before and many of my colleagues have, you know, you know, Mr. So-and-so, how are you doing? How's the hedge fund market? You know, what's new? What's going on in your business? And then we turn to Mrs. Smith and we say, how are your children? How's everybody? Is college going well? Right? We've set a table. We've set the table right there for potentially an inequitable conversation, right? We've assumed that he wants to talk about business and she wants to talk about family or kids or home front. And, um, you know, that's, you know, we're just not creating a truly inclusive environment sometimes when we enter our meeting and um, through the best of intentions sort of set the stage in that way. Let's talk a little bit about women and financial literacy. Mm -hmm. um, so first off, what do <coughs> surveys tell us about this? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, um, you've said one of the goals of the center is to close the confidence gap for women around wealth management. Mm -hmm. How are you doing this? Mm -hmm. 
So the data shows us that in the United States, there's really no gap in financial literacy or financial confidence, right? Our male clients and our female clients generally on the whole have just about the same level of understanding of financial markets and economic decision making um, and planning. You know, for most clients, this stuff is foreign. It's not what they do every day, right? They don't sit around and think about the markets. They don't think about tax planning strategies. You know, that's our job as advisors is to advise them and they pay us for our advice. Um, where there is a gap between men and women is confidence, right? Women underestimate to a greater extent than men how much they know about investing and financial decision making. So they walk into a meeting and say, you know what, this is not my area, I just don't know. Whereas men sit at the table and they, you know, they think maybe they have a pretty good understanding. And so the, the issue here is to make women independent, perfectly confident, about the decisions that they're making. And so it's not that they have to know the minutia of you know, how to invest in the emerging markets or how to structure a complicated tax strategy. They don't have to know that, right? Neither do our male clients. What they have to do is to be able to make good decisions for themselves and their families with the help of good advisors. Right. And so that doesn't mean that we need to give, you know, our clients sort of the investing 101 boot camp. We certainly can if they want it, if that's going to help them become more confident. But what we really need to do is create relationship. Right. And in a way, serve our clients in a way that enables them to feel good about the decisions that they're making. Right. And that's that's based on relationship and how we speak to clients, how we communicate with them and how we make them feel included in the conversation. Mm -hmm. One of the other things we're also doing within the Center for Women and Wealth is, you know, women love to have a cohort, right? A tribe of other women that feel the same way or have some of the same concerns that they do. So oftentimes we'll bring together sort of large and small groups of women to talk about certain issues that they may be having. Um, we did a great dinner um, last year and we brought a whole group of women CEOs together, right? Um, to talk about some of the common issues that they face in their businesses or that they face in their own planning. Um, and that, you know, to know that others have the same questions, concerns, problems, or thinking the same things as they lie in bed at night, that's hugely comforting. And as women, we want that tribe, right? We want that type of connection. So that's one of the things we've really tried to do a lot of. Can you talk a bit about unconscious bias training? Mm. Uh, we know that uh, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So what does work? Right. So what we're talking about, so we already talked about the fact that um, you know we're at a little bit of a disadvantage as an, of an, as an industry because we're not diverse ourselves. We're working on that. It's just not happening soon enough. Um, and you know, women are relatively new clients. So how do we really serve them well? It has to be about being intentional about how we structure client relationships. And we're calling it conscious inclusion, right? Which is a little bit of the opposite of unconscious bias. And we really think it's a three-pronged um, process. And any one part doesn't really stand alone to, to get you the results that you want. And so I think we need to start with unconscious bias training. We need to make everybody aware that we have bias. Right? And bias isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? It stops you from stepping in front of a moving car, right? That's a good thing that you know you should be on the sidewalk and you should wait until you see the, the, the walking man flash on the other side of the street, right? We're not consciously thinking about that, but that's just something that we do automatically. We have an implicit association that we need to stand on the sidewalk until we see the sign. And um, so bias isn't bad, but sometimes it gets in the way of creating a relationship, especially with folks that just don't look like us or don't act like us or don't have the same interests, right? So we just need to know that we all have those automatic assumptions. And that's what bias is. It's just making assumptions about the people around you, the world around you. And it allows our brains to work efficiently. It allows us to get through the day with all this information coming at us. It's only negative when we make the wrong assumptions. <clears throat> So we have to start with an understanding of that. Second, we have to train ourselves and the people that work with us to do it right every time, 
right? We have to make sure we understand the best practices in relationship management and client communication. And I think a lot of times um, people in this industry are really talented relationship people, right? And a lot of times they're able to fall back and, you know, I've done this a lot, you know, on the rapport you can create while you're in the room with somebody because we like people, right? I think everybody in this industry likes people. And so we fall back on that rapport without thinking really intentionally about how am I going to create relationship and trust, right? And I think we have to be more intentional with those, with those things as our client base becomes more diverse and perhaps looks less like us. But you can't stop at training because we know all these corporate trainings, right? Again, don't really work. We forget 90% of what we've learned after we leave the room before we get back to our desk, right? So in order to institutionalize it, we really have to create process and design around service. And this comes from a lot of the um, work on behavioral design, and a lot of it's been applied to sort of the hiring and promotion context in corporate America, right? How do we how do we hire people so that our own biases about where they went to school or what they look like or what neighborhood they grew up in don't affect how we make those decisions? Same thing in client service, right? Should I be emailing just Mr. Smith to set the meeting for next Tuesday at 9 o'clock and then say, oh, do you want to bring your wife with you? No. Okay, we start we start in a hole, right, if we're doing that kind of behavior. So what's sort of the gentle nudge that we can give everybody we work with, everybody in our business, to make sure that we're being inclusive in how we communicate, right? And some of this gets back to checklists, right? And you can read a, a lot about this in um, a number of books who are, that is focused on this, including the Checklist Manifesto. How do we use checklists and just reminders about how we should be working with people? And it can really be that simple. So the $64,000 question what do women want and mm. how can firms do a better job of serving women clients? Mm -hmm. So what do women want? Um, maybe an unexciting answer. Women want the same thing men want, right? They want really good service and customized advice, right? We all want the same thing. We want advisors that get us and speak to our needs and serve us really well. Unfortunately, historically, they just haven't gotten that in a lot of situations. Um, so what can we do to change that, right? I think we need to start this conversation. And I don't think anything that we've talked about today is really rocket science. We can all do it if we want to, right? And so it starts with awareness and wanting to make sure that we're creating an environment that's welcoming and really inclusive for all of our clients. And so, um, you know, some of this, some of this training and some of this dialogue, you know, you can just start with getting a group, whether it be internal to your firm or a group of advisors across industries together to talk about, you know, what are the best practices we see? What do we hear our clients saying? Let's talk to our clients. Let's have a focus group with our clients. Let's survey our clients about how they feel. And then we have to analyze where there are gaps, right? Is it, you know, I'm probably pretty good at working with women, maybe I don't relate as well to men, right? And so in my client base, maybe it's the men that are pretty dissatisfied. I don't know. Um, but we will know if we collect the data on that, right? And so if we see where the gaps are, and once we know where sort of the gaps are in our service or where the gaps are in our, in our client satisfaction, then we can actually create design to help, to help close those gaps. Now, I've read that about 44% <clears throat> of women in the US don't have a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. So it seems there's a huge opportunity here. In closing, uh, what message do you have for advisors or firms who to date have not made this a priority? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I think it's going to be critical for all wealth management firms, um, not only to think about women, um, women are 51% of the population, so it's obviously the biggest part of the potential client base, but 
sort of all types of clients that maybe we haven't served in the past, right? If we're just going to serve clients that are sort of like us, that look like us and act like us and um, are members at the same um, clubs or went to the same schools, then we're really limiting our business and the potential that we have to help all kinds of people. So I think it's a business imperative. I also think that um, it's really important for the financial health of our communities, of families, to think about how... Um, how all types of clients are investing, right? That women don't have advisors in the same rate as men, right? 30% of high net worth women don't have an advisor, right? Who have a million dollars or more that's potentially sitting around uninvested, right? This has adverse impact on, on them, on their the future health of their retirement, on their children, and um, potentially on, um, you know, certainly on our industry. Right, so there's a huge opportunity here, and the um, I think certainly the story of my career is going to be um, wealth is going to become diverse, and the firms that are going to win are the firms that learn to serve diverse populations well. Adrian, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks thank for you, joining Lauren. us today, and thank you for watching. Copyright 2017, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.